how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Since 2005, David Farr has been pursuing his passion as a screenwriter. As a staff writer on shows like MI5 and Outcast, the English writer's work has entered more of a solo career with the 2011 film version of Hannah, which starred Sirius Ronan, Kate Blanchett, and Eric Bana, along with Joe Wright in the director's chair. Since this theatrical version far penned the series The Night Manager, a movie called The Man with the Iron Heart, and he has additional credits for McMafia and Troy in Fall of a City. Now he's working on the reboot, televised version of Hannah for Amazon. This time, the eight-episode arc first season stars Esmo Creed Miles, Joel Kinnaman, and Muriel Enos. Essentially, the plot for the film and televised version follows the journey of an extraordinary young girl raised in the forest as she evades and relentlessly pursues an off-book CIA agent as she tries to figure out who she is. In this exclusive interview, Farr discusses his love for essential spies, journeys of identity within character, best practices for television longevity, and why it's important to always understand the essence of story as a storyteller. You can also find the print version of this interview on Creative Screenwriting's website. I was convinced I was going to be an English teacher <laughs> until I was about 18, and then I got suddenly very quickly and very deeply into theatre when I um, when I was at university. I'd always loved movies in terms of that's what I watched, and my romance has always been, I think, come from movies and from film, uh, and, and still is to this day, to be honest. That's that's the stuff that really is it, it's sort of in deep, deep in me. But in England at that time, Britain at that time, there wasn't a lot of film happening, so I ended up working in theatre for a long time, maybe like, nearly 20 years, 15, 20 years before managing wonderfully to shift across to, to film and TV. And Hannah was really the the, the, the transition point. Uh, I, I got a lucky break, really, in a sense, and uh, that the screenplay suddenly was being made by Joe Wright. And so I'm, I'm, that, I'm very grateful for that, really. And this was the 2011 film, correct? That's correct, exactly, yes. Like, what were some of your influences? It feels like you're kind of interested maybe in the, the espionage uh, genre to some degree. What, what were your influences in, and what do, you, what do you like to make? You're absolutely right. When I was a kid, I, I read an awful lot of Graham Greene, who's a British novelist, for those that don't know. And, um, that he, that some of his stuff was turned into movies, uh, The Quiet American, and most famously The Third Man with Orson Welles. And, uh, and I read John le Carre. I read Joseph Conrad. He's a British, great British 19th century novelist. I've always really been interested in spies because I think spies are, they're like all of us, really. They, they take on persona. They take on identities that aren't entirely truthful. Um, and then they kind of forget that that's just a mask and they, and they lose who they are. And I think the, the best spy stories, 
And in some ways, I think this, this relates to Hannah, uh, are, are really profoundly about identity and about people who shift who they are for a particular purpose, uh, which is for a thriller reason, for a reason of, that they need to do. But actually, that becomes an emotionally complicated thing. And I'm, I've become more and more interested in, in those stories and ways of telling them. How do you, uh, like as an audience, we look at people like uh, Jason Bourne or, or James Bond as kind of this loner hero. How do you think about your characters in terms of uh, solitude, loneliness, to the time they're, they're alone? Like how do they really, how do you think about each individual character in that respect? Well, I think it's your, your examples are great examples, particularly the Jason Bourne one, because I feel like Hannah is a young female version as a counterpart to that almost. This, they're both journeys of identity. They're both, both put very simply, they're both people trying to figure out who they are in a very literal sense, in a thriller sense. And there are, in both cases, I think there are forces, governmental forces, dark forces, who do not want them to find out who they are. But that very simple question of finding out who you are is, of course, in a sense, what we all do in our life. We, we, we go on journeys of, of, of identity trying to figure out, is this really me? Am I doing what I want? Is, uh, is, it, uh, is, is the person I'm with a true reflection of myself? And all these questions that are very internal um, questions are suddenly given when you do a thriller, they're given a much more high jeopardy stakes. And that lends the piece a sort of double action. So it's both uh, a thriller, uh, an action-based thriller, but also becomes a, hopefully a, a kind of rather more profound search for identity and understanding. Do you see the goodness in a character like that as possibly the naivete she has? Like she doesn't know how tough or strong she is to some degree? I think that's what makes her a captivating character is that she's been armed by her father with these extraordinary, almost, shall we say, superhuman skills, but certainly highly developed skills to survive. And she's, she has the capacity for, for extreme violence in that regard. So she's very skilled in one way. In terms of the other kind of skills that we associate with life, the ability, just the ability to understand the world and to negotiate the world, she's completely naive. And that is the contrast that I think is very fertile in the piece because it means that she can one minute be extremely proficient and the next minute feel completely lost. And you need to find an actress, obviously, I think we did with Esme Creed-Miles, who can, who can inhabit both of those things. They're very, very different. And the humanity of the piece, the vulnerability and the fragility of, of the piece and particularly of that role is I think what marks Hannah out I hope it does I hope it marks Hannah out from a more you know generic kind of female action hero since since the film was made in 2011 as you were saying there have been a hell of a lot actually of kind of quite tough armoured female uh, action heroines and they Great, but I, I think Hannah hopefully is marked out by having this uh, this much much more melancholic, vulnerable quality all the way through as she as she desperately searches for who she is. Were you the one to kind of push, you know, um, turning this into a longer piece, or did, did someone ask you to come on? How did this kind of come about with the new series? It came out. It came about with, with a conversation. Actually, with with the guys that um, the, the the NBC Universal guys who 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 had made the movie effectively, um, and I was talking, we were sort of talking about was there something else that the, the movie didn't do, and, and the really simple answer was yes, because the screenplay that I wrote, Joe did a fabulous version of it, but it was his very much his version. It was wonderfully visual, very almost cartoon like, and it crucially, rather helpfully actually, in the end, he didn't 
manage to, and he, for all sorts of complicated reasons, he didn't manage to shoot the ending, the kind of the destination point of the screenplay. And that, and that left me with this wonderful opportunity because it meant that there was a, a story untold specifically in relation to Hannah's provenance. Uh, and that, that I got very excited by. And I think, you know, from the minute you watch the very beginning of episode one of the TV series, which is completely different to how the movie starts, uh, you, you realize that we're dealing with a backstory, a, a, an origin story, a mythology, if you like, that the film doesn't doesn't go anywhere near. And I think that just ho- hopefully means that, that people can see them as two just completely different creatures. They're, they're not, it's not just a retelling. You know, I think 70% of the television series is completely new story. It's only really the first two episodes that, where we sort of cover some of the ground the film covers and then it goes off on as a quite major departure. So I felt there was lots to do and it was it, it, obviously TV having eight parts, seven, seven hours, You've just got so much more time to explore character. You don't have to rush. You can you can settle with someone like Hannah in a situation that seems quite normal, and then you can suddenly crank up the tension and the suspense, and you can just play rhythmically. It's 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 such a it's such an enjoyable thing for a writer, I have to say. Did you find it uh, you know just logistically much more difficult to expand? I mean, in terms of number of pages, was it a lot more difficult to expand this story out? In all honesty, not really, uh, because I knew where we were going. I knew the destination point. I, I think it's a really helpful thing in writing to know to know where you're going, to know where it's going to end. Put simply, you may not understand the full ramifications of that when you start, but you kind of know where you're going. And then I just worked out structurally um, some staging posts on the way. And what I thought we could take advantage of the episodic nature of television, as I thought we could we could enjoy different colours and different tones and whole different worlds on the way and that isn't just a kind of a kind of tourist guide if you like it's Hannah is a, a woman a young woman who is understanding the world she's never seen it so every world she enters is new information new experience potentially damaging stuff can happen potentially enriching stuff can happen so the worlds of the tv series are very different we've almost sometimes we almost talk about it as, have, as almost having kind of like four mini films really um, because she does travel it's unusual in that sense for a tv series i guess she travels through different worlds, or very often being chased, of course. But those worlds are just, they're very enjoyable and they're very different and they have different colours and tastes and smells and different characters, different languages. We go, So it, I, I find that side of it very enjoyable and, and, and I managed to structure it in such a way that I felt that we kept the tension all the way through that. So I've seen um, Amazon sent me the first two episodes. So I don't want to get too into details as far as you know giving away plot points, but when she meets a character uh, named Sophie, there's obviously a juxtaposition there. Are you trying to say anything about or any, any ideas about um, messages to society as a whole? Like, should we be a little bit more like Canna, or are you just trying to show the two sides of um, this, these girls? I don't. Writers tend not to think about messages, but I, but I understand what you're you're saying in terms of I think there's no question that Sophie is a girl whose issue is the way in which she's trapped by the modern world. She's trapped by her identity and online identity and what, what people think a young woman should be. And she's and Hannah is completely free of all of those things because she's never lived in that world. And there's no question that Sophie finds that so attractive. 
there's something about Hannah that Sophie finds deeply attractive. She doesn't really fully understand it um, because she doesn't know the true story of how, where Hannah came from, but she senses it. She senses this girl has a, a weird, raw freedom that she would love to have and doesn't have because she's so worried about what everyone thinks about her as a young woman in the modern world. By contrast, Hannah finds Sophie attractive because Sophie seems to know so much and have have, have so much uh, savvy about her and and Hannah feels unquestionably deeply alone I mean you're you talk back to your earlier point the loneliness of the existential hero and Hannah is an existential hero um, it's very exciting to have a female one because as you said so many of them are male um, so she's alone and she finds in Sophie this bubbly effervescent presence which just simply makes her feel happier by being there which is what friendship is uh, Hannah has never had a friend and I think Somehow, what I love about her as a character is that you, she just we can explore the very theme of friendship. What is friendship? Just because she has never had that. So when she has it for the first time, it, it has a different quality. And so you sort of think about it a little more than you would if it was just a normal friendship in, an, in a normal story. Are there, is there anywhere where you can go too far with violence? It feels like anything goes today as far as like violence on television. Uh, like one example, between your movie version and the TV version, the only thing I saw maybe similar was um, Logan from Marvel when they had like an older Wolverine and a young female. You know, it's kind of a mentor relationship and she's pretty deadly in that story as well. Is there anything that can go too far when you're thinking about, well, this is a, it still is a young girl. Is there anything like that? Or is it all the further the better to show how drastic her character can go? Uh, my view is it's about the moral, the moral center of the piece. The mor- the, one of the major themes of the piece is the morality of, of action, the morality of violence, you are responsible for the actions. And Hannah has to learn that. You're responsible for the actions that you that you pursue. Uh, there's a moment at the end of episode two, without wishing to spoil too much, where Hannah, for the first time, understands the true moral consequences of violence by looking at Sophie's face. And, it, and so Sophie becomes the normalizer, the person who gives Hannah conscience, gives Hannah morality. So for me, it's important to not to shy away from the violence earlier because the violence is violent and it has effects and people die. And I, so I, I feel what's important is not to take it for granted um, and not to be in the, in the... The word gratuitous to me doesn't mean too much. It simply means it's done not for no other reason than just simply to get a kick out of it. And I don't think that's what we're, do, we're doing at all. We talk, you know, I mean, particularly as me as a you know, young 18-year-old actress, we talked a lot about the morality of violence because it's something that concerned her, that she didn't want to be, you know, littering the place with corpses with no reason. And we talked... So we went very deeply into exploring what are the consequences, how does she begin to understand death, for example, pain, suffering, loss all these things that are new new experiences for her. Uh, and that's that's something that was, we were very conscious of. What's your, um, to kind of step back for a moment, so you worked on other shows like Outcast, uh, Electric Dream, McMafia, some other uh, shows that I've seen on um, either Amazon or AMC. Is it difficult for you to kind of come in and work on single episodes like that? Or do you, you, know, do you prefer to, to plan out the entire series? Do you have a preference or more difficulty or any, any change up in your routine? I'm, I massively prefer uh, being the storyteller. Yeah, it's it, yeah the two the, you know, the night manager, which I was the sole writer or sole adapter, I should say, uh, and Hannah have definitely been the richest experiences um, because you can shape a narrative. Uh, it's best, I think, to 
television at the moment is becoming a little bit like the modern version of a novel, really, where you have the episodic nature, you, you can take your time, but you the pleasure of that is to be in charge of that shape. Um, when you're coming in, I mean, when I was younger, yeah, absolutely, I did episodic stuff because it was really good training, uh, and it remains really good training. My Probably the best training I had was actually on a show that I think in America is called MI5, maybe. It was called Spooks. And on Spooks, I think I did seven or eight episodes over about seven years. I was, in, I was working in the theater at the time, so that was all I ever did. And, and it was just the best training exercise in, in episodic storytelling, in hitting key moments. And I think there's something about that that stayed with me, that, that ability to be able to you know, provide the right suspense moments and, and know how a story lands at the end of an episode. Uh, the characterization of Spooks, I don't think anyone would mind me saying this, is relatively simplistic. That's not really its strong point. They're wonderful characters, but they're quite simple. Um, they work in a very simple and direct way. Uh, that you, We never aimed to go into great existential depths with them. We did a lot of stuff around pain and, and stuff, which was good. But what it was great for was the training ground for, for, for really good narrative. Uh, and so I think for young writers, that's, that's unquestionably absolutely invaluable experience. But the, the true pleasure of, of television is, is the ability to shape a story over time. So you described in an interview with Variety talking about The Night Manager, you said it was character-based, um, but it wasn't a very urgent, doesn't have a very urgent narrative. Um, did you find that similar with this story? Would you describe kind of Hannah as character-based, but with a more urgent narrative? Yeah, this, this is, Hannah is an infinitely more urgent narrative. I mean, urgent, it, it, sometimes when you say these things, you say them wrong. When, when I say that manager doesn't have an urgent narrative, it is emotionally unbelievably urgent. It just isn't very quick. And what I, what I like about Nightmare is that it takes, it, it's, it not actually much happens. That was, that's my amusement. When you actually look at what happens, I mean, Hannah is completely different. Hannah, a lot happens. It's she, the, from the minute she makes that decision that the forest is no longer enough for her as a te- young teenage woman, it, she, it goes. Uh, the consequences of that decision, which is hers and hers alone, um, force, force the narrative into, uh, uh, I think, terrific uh, tension and pace and energy, which sort of doesn't, doesn't fully stop the whole thing. What I think is true and similar to both is that there is within that, there is time for character work. There's time where she just is with her Sophie or her father. Or, and, and those moments are, I think, the moments in a way that are what make this series the most special. And the same was, was true of Night Manager. I think what people remember from Night Manager is it's not really the plot about the arms dealing, although you absolutely have to have that. It's really, it was just the, the, the great scenes between Hugh Laurie and Tom Hiddleston or Tom Hollander and Tom Hiddleston, these, these great, or Olivia Coleman and Tom Hiddleston, were these great moments where, where the, the lead character is, again, discovering who he is or hiding who he is with another person. And they're, just, they're often quite long scenes of, of dialogue. And I, I think tension, when you get tension right in, in the story, you, that you can then hold scenes, surprisingly long scenes between characters, uh, which you would probably not risk in a film, um, but in television you, you can do it. And it, it's actually, of course, something that actors love because they get to really work with each other in a way that, you know, often in film they're doing very short takes. And in, in television, again, the more time they can really explore, they can play. And I think we get the best both out of writers and, and, and actors that way. So you mentioned um, modern television kind of being like the the best, the closest thing we have to a, a novelization. I think a few years ago I heard someone like Ricky Gervais or Simon Pegg describe British television as they're okay with something being, you know, three seasons and ending when it's best to end. And America will stretch out something for 10 seasons, usually for monetary reasons. 
Do you have like, I mean, is the story in your mind, is it best to do a limited series where it's maybe one or two seasons, eight to 10 episodes total? Or how do you kind of view the best way to tell a story today? I think each story has its own natural longevity. So I, I, I could give an example would be Breaking Bad is the most famous example of something that was clearly designed over a long period of time and works absolutely. The Sopranos is in a very different way, something that I, for me is unbelievably rewarding over a long period of time. It's almost a soap opera. It's a family drama that just extends and extends and becomes richer and deeper. Where I think there is a problem in, sometimes in American drama is where people begin to what I call spin the plates, which is essentially where you just get into more and more twists and more and more self-consciousness because, just to keep it going. I think if you, if, you, if you are exploring character and getting deeper into character and growing character, and taking a character to a destination that you know, have in your head kind of from the beginning, then I think the length is not in, entirely relevant to that. You just have to be true to that. Am I still obeying and observing the character's arc of learning and development and change? And am I taking that character where I want to take it, him, he, him or her to? And if that's still alive and dynamic and surprising and truthful, then it will work. If it's just... I need to find new plot now because I need to find new plot. Then you're going. You, you, your, your point is absolutely right. And then they will they begin to become problems. I think. It sounds like you may be a um, some of your other answers. You may be a prolific reader as well. What, what kind of advice might you have for people that are trying to break into the industry and either adapt their first story or create their first original screenplay? What advice might you have for them? Everyone's different. Uh, the, my the way I did it was through. I did. You're absolutely right. I. I I read, I read a lot. I've always read a lot. And I, I've done a lot of theatre. So I've, I've told a lot of stories and I've read a lot of stories. And in the process, uh, it may be something I naturally have, I don't know, but in the process I feel like I've got an instinct around how you know, stories work, how different stories work in different ways. And for me, storytelling is a, is a gift. You, you tell a story to a kid. I've, you know, obviously I've, had, I've got two daughters and I remember when they were young, you, you know when a story is working when you tell a kid and you know that we have the odd night when you don't tell such a good story and they're like, their eyes slightly kind of disappear, you know, wander off somewhere else. You, that, it, it actually isn't really that different. And one of the things I do very often as a little experiment when I'm developing something early on uh, is I tell the story to, even now, there are much older now, but I tell it to my daughters. Just the act of telling a story, reducing it to its basic storytelling distillation is an incredibly good challenge. Can I just tell it? Can I get rid of everything else and just tell it as a story and does it grip? And are they, do their eyes kind of go, yeah, yeah, this is cool. I want to know what happens now. Um, and it, I, I, that simplicity, I think, is maybe something that could be useful for people. I, I don't know. I interviewed um, Paul Schrader that wrote Taxi Driver and First Reformed, and he said he'll basically tell every all of his friends he'll tell them the story until he's at the end and there and then and then he starts writing he doesn't write until he can tell the entire story which which seems crazy but that's what he does no no I, but he that's he's, he's an absolute hero of mine text drivers is just one of the great screenplays um but he's absolutely that's it i mean it's the same thing i'm literally saying the same thing if you can tell the story and you you your audience young or old want to get to the end and do get and you can get there but and tell it as a story, and you and it shouldn't take too long. We're not talking about an hour and a half. We're talking about a ten-minute telling, gripping ten-minute telling of that story. Um, then you you then you know you've kind of got it, and then things will change as you write because writing is organic, and characters will definitely surprise you. 
that's one of my other things. Characters surprise you. They just do things you didn't fully expect. Uh, uh, but on the whole, you'll have your you'll feel this sense that you know where you're going, and that's it's such an, a confidence giving thing. Uh, and then the story almost gains its own mastery over you. And then you have this weird thing where you don't really feel like you're writing your story. You just feel it's, it's happening. Was there any conversation, like when I saw the trailer, uh, it really just focuses on um, Hannah and her father as far as what's going on. But when I watched the first episode, I see that Joel Kinnaman, and I may pronounce this wrong, but Muriel Enos are kind of teamed up again from the killing. Was that kind of a, a purposeful um, connection, if you know any answers about that with the casting choices? Murray is uh, and Joel are, are good friends, but the the casting was in a sense coincidental. We had a, obviously a, had our wonderful wish list, and they were right at the top of them, out of both lists. And we we just got them both. And I, I mean, we got Murray just shortly before Joel. And I do remember sort of talking to her and saying, we, "We're looking at Joel. Is that something that would you would you know be okay with?" And she was very okay with it because she said, "We want to work together again." And we played, you know, obviously sidekicks in the killing. We would here, we would be playing adversaries, and so for her, that's great. And or you haven't seen it yet, and people haven't seen it yet. But there is an episode where they really do face off in a kind of almost cowboy kind of sense, and it's very exciting because they haven't done that before. The, the only thing I, I, I would want to just briefly mention is the music because uh, it's a really, really important part of what we've done, uh, and we managed to get two artists who I'm just deeply in love with, so I always want to mention it. <laughs> One is um, Karen O from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, who has um, written a special song just, just for us. It's what she, what she calls an anti-lullaby, which is in episode one and floats so melancholically and dreamily through the entire series. And then there's a guy called Jeff Barrow, who, who was a, a Porter's Head, and he now collaborates with another guy called Ben Salisbury, and they've created the, the lion's share of the score, which is... And I just... It's one of those... I think it will be one of the things that characterizes the piece. It's... That that collaboration between those those artists is something I think is, is really special. So I just wanted to mention that. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.